we uh, we always take a break and uh, the remembrance of our Lord's Advent over Christmas and New Year's and focus on his having come and what lies ahead of us and we we stepped away from the book of Deuteronomy and having a conversation Friday night um, a person was saying that they appreciate the fact that uh, we're in Deuteronomy because uh, they've been in churches uh, where they never uh, touch on the Old Testament at all. And um, so that we understand, you know, uh, Calvary Chapel's one of our distinctives is that we teach the Bible uh, verse by verse from Genesis to Revelation. And um, that partly comes from Paul saying that he is innocent of all men's blood because he had not failed to teach them the entirety of God's counsel. You can't say that unless you've taught the whole Bible. You have to teach the Word of God. It helps us to remain in balance. And it's surprising to me, as uh, I reviewed Deuteronomy 27 and 28, uh, you, you look back all these thousands of years to when this was written and then realize how applicable it is today and uh, what it is that the Lord would have us glean from it. So Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 1, Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. Now, uh, that was the Ten Commandments given to them in Exodus chapter 20, uh, the various law and instruction that came following, and then the entirety of the book of Leviticus, and now what we're reviewing in Deuteronomy. I'm very, very appreciative of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, that says, he says, a new covenant. We just read that as Jesus was sharing communion with them. Uh, he says a new covenant. He has made the first covenant, the first law, obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You know, I, lots of examples of obsolete. You know, cell phones are a thing that are just constantly changing, right? You've you've seen the new flip phones that the screen folds in half, right? You've seen that, you know either lengthwise or horizontally, opens up. Some of you may have it, right? Remember your first flip phone? Want to trade your new smart flip phone for one of those old ones? Probably not, right? That which has been made obsolete is no longer useful, okay? What has replaced it is what we need to focus on. The scripture itself is telling us the old covenant, the law has been made obsolete, uh, Jesus Christ did give us commandments. He summarized them, Matthew chapter 22. At verse 36, he was being quizzed by those who wanted to cause him to stumble in speech. And they said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
So if you're going to dig through the scripture and find something and say, oh, we now have to observe this. Nobody can eat pork anymore, you know, or whatever thing you're going to add in there. Jesus summarized, condensed the law down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your, Resultingly, if you do that, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Paul gives us great insight into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which so many people in the church have confused the body of Christ with all these different experiences and explanations. And he says, even if I have all of those things, just speaking, you know, all the tongues of men and all the tongues of angels, but have not love, I have become a clanging symbol. You know, my illustration there is my grandson sitting on my kitchen floor with a copper bottom kettle, upside down, wooden spoon, and he is just wailing away on that. You wouldn't believe the joy that fills his heart. He just, he loves it, you know, and at first you're thinking, isn't that cute? And, you know, a few seconds later, or a few minutes later, or a few hours later, you're thinking, that's incredibly selfish. Whether you say that with your mouth or not, you're saying, I don't care what kind of joy you're getting out of that. That's driving me bonkers. If you have these things but have not love, right, you're just a noise. It has to be love. That is the one sign, the one sign that you have been baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You may speak in tongues. You may prophesy. But if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then, unavoidably, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love the Lord, you're going to love your neighbor. So keep the law simple, right? Keep it to what Jesus told us we needed to do. Not heaping upon ourselves. Read Colossians chapter 2 when you get the time and see what Paul said about those who want to mound on all of these rules and regulations. Jesus wanted us to be free. That's how he delivered us by his death. Verse 20 or verse 2 of chapter 27. So keep the commandments. He's talking to the nation of Israel about what they had at the time. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law. Now, that could mean the entirety, Leviticus and the, the uh, you know Ten Commandments out of Exodus 20. It may have just meant the Ten Commandments. Uh, set up large stones and write the entirety of the law. It's really not significant which way you want to interpret that because all of Leviticus and Deuteronomy extend from the Ten Commandments. So uh, within this, uh, you know, write the law. You're going to build a memorial for the people to remember. You shall write on them all the words of the law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord uh, God of your fathers promised you. Uh, the word, the law, you know, making a memorial of it. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 11, there the psalmist said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
building a monument in your own heart uh, to the Lord, memorizing the word, keeping it as part of yourself is very, very helpful to you uh, walking with the Lord, continuing with the Lord, being changed by the Lord. The apostles had great concern over their own salvation, their relationship with the Lord. They were raising questions. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Right? The word has a very, very powerful effect. Uh, you know, in this day and age where everyone is all concerned about, you know, entertainment, just imagery. You need to just constantly, you know, flutter uh, the electronic screen in front of my face in order for me to be content. Uh, th there's something about uh, staring at the screen that's, you know, what, what did our parents tell us, right? Get away from that. It's going to rot your brain. You know, just we, we'd hear all kinds of stuff. Uh, well, you know, your responses, uh, thought processes, where you sit and you think, right? Um, in the old world, that used to be referred to as musing, right? To think on something, to, to muse upon it, right? So now, right, the Greek term a, right, atheist, Theos being the study of God or God, A being opposed to God, being opposed to the existence of God, A, atheist, okay? A, musement, being opposed to thinking, okay? Being in opposition to thinking, right? And we say that, like, I just got to unwind. I just want to shut down, right? And we sit down in front of the thing. What's really interesting, studies have been done, all of your cognitive thought process, where you muse and process, happens in your frontal lobe, right? Hypnotizing somebody, whether you agree with that or not, is shutting off their frontal lobe, right? They literally put Neuronet on people's heads uh, and test the neurological pathways. And under hypnosis, the frontal lobe has no signal. There's, there's no electronic circuit happening there. Whether you're aware of it or not, the television and your computer screen and your cell phone turn on and off, on and off. There's a, a negative and a positive charge to every single frame that you see. <clears throat> Stay with me in this technical explanation here. Every single second of normal television broadcast video that we watch, there are 60 individual pictures in one second of video. It isn't some fluid flowing motion. It's one image, and it shuts off. The screen goes black. And another image, and it shuts off, and the screen goes black. And another image, and it shuts off. So there's actually 120 pulses a second. There's 30 individual pictures or, or 60 individual pictures that you're seeing depending on what frame rate they're using in that. In less than two minutes of watching television, your frontal lobe shuts off. This is why you will sit and watch something that is grossly inappropriate and you'll laugh even though inside there's something that's opposed to it. This is also why 
your wife, your husband will call to you, you know, and then finally throw something at your head, right? I hear that happens. I don't know. And you can't even respond. You're locked on, and maybe even in your mind you did respond, but nothing came out of your mouth. And finally, what? You know, just, you, you, you can be reading a book and they ask you a question, what? You know, and you can even continue to read that the, the frontal lobe is shut off. You're, you're not actually processing. There's some question as to whether your purchases made online are actually legal. Right? Those of you that have had anesthesia or administered it, no, right? You can't sign any legally binding contracts for 24 hours, right? Why? Because your frontal lobe is being interfered with by the chemistry they put in your body. Your thought process is shut off. It is important for us to turn off the world. You know, now I'll really offend you. Uh, people keep coming to me and saying, hey, have you watched Chosen? You know, and I say, yeah, I've watched a little bit of it. How do you like it? I don't really know. I haven't watched it. I study the word of God, and that's what, well, it lends character, and you get to know, and it gives you things from the insight and the background, and great, awesome. I, I'm not offended by it, okay? I, I hold a great importance on the word of God, and I need to digest this and take it in, because this is the thing that's going to change me. This is the thing that's going to improve me and sharpen me and cause me to have power over the indulgence of my flesh. Those things are good. Watch them. Fine. I'm not preaching anything against that, okay? Uh, but as far as like how many minutes in a day I have, when it comes down to looking at that, I'm like, I think I'll prioritize here as far as studying the Word of God goes. So, you know, if you're watching Chosen, great. Uh, are you also studying the Word? Are you also studying the Word? Because you need to. You need to read. You need to take it in. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17, right? Needs to be influencing us. 27, verse 4, Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I command you today. You shall whitewash them with lime, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones you shall not Use an iron tool on them. No carving on this. It isn't a matter of God is opposed to ornate things. Think of all the instruction that went into building the temple. The embroidery of the curtains and the fashioning of everything. When it comes to the law, when it comes to the word, he doesn't want any distraction. He wants them to be able to focus on literally the black and white of what's being written there. They need to focus on that. A big problem in the church today is the intermingling of men's work with the word of God. Um, again, I, I, I say things and I offend people and I don't mean to. Okay, I, I am not a fan of study Bibles because it's pre-digested. Somebody's telling me what I think. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of commentaries, but that's because I can look at 25 of them and compare the verse and what's being said and the consensus there 
and come up with a conclusion based upon the history of studying that passage. Uh, Chuck Smith produced a, a study Bible years ago. I, I'm not a huge fan because everything is being presented from that one view. Love Chuck, love his ministry, everything about what Calvary Chapel is. But we need to be people who are looking into the, the word of God ourselves and deriving from the word what the word intends for us. You say, well, I read it and I don't understand it. Well, then you didn't study. Because you need to, if you didn't understand it, that just tells you you need to dig deeper. You need to find out. You need to raise questions. You need to, you need to find sources uh, about the subject that is there. No iron tool on this altar. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. The Lord said, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Right? He allows carved images in the temple, molded images in the temple. Right? You can't bow down to them. You can't worship them. They shouldn't be a distraction. Right? You got a picture of Jesus on your wall at home? That's okay. Right? It's not Jesus, right? We all know that. But if you have to go home and get in front of that picture in order to pray, now you got a problem. If, if you're trying to study the word and you can't derive for yourself, it has to be what somebody else has written, then you've got a problem. We need to be able to digest the word ourselves. You shall build, verse 6, with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God, Offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings, and you shall eat there. Peace offerings. In the millennium, when the Lord reigns on this earth, there will be offerings made. And the questions often often raised. If Jesus Christ was the sacrifice, why are there offerings being made? Peace offerings and fellowship offerings are going to be accepted by the Lord. Sin offerings are going to be unnecessary. Jesus Christ has already fulfilled those things. So the burnt offerings to the Lord your God, you shall offer peace offerings, you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you will write very plainly. See that? Again, not just my interpretation. The scripture is telling you, you will write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law, you know. Who is it that, you know, does the best printing? Bring that guy. You know, we don't need the calligrapher to come and build us some ornate thing. Something that's very simple, very straightforward to read. Yeah. It's been said of what we try to do, that it's simply a process of reading it and explaining it. That, that's really what we try to focus on in this church is to just simply read the word of God and then explain what is there. It's one of the reasons that I use the new King James version, right? The King James version is superior in its digest and understanding of the original text. The problem is it's written in English from the 1600s. So it sounds like a Shakespeare class and I have to read that. Then I have to interpret into the modern vernacular. Then I have to explain what is written there. So the New King James Version eliminates some of that. We don't have as many these and thous and thys contained in it. It's just something that's a little easier for us to read. 27.9, then Moses uh, 
and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. Notice this. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Now, there's some debate about, wow, how did they become uh, you know, God's people at this day? Why, why, I mean, isn't there a history? Wasn't Abraham hundreds of years earlier? Why, why is the Lord declaring this moment? This is the new generation. Right? The older generation has passed away, and this younger generation is about to enter into the promised land, and God is having a ceremonial meeting with them to say, you know, if you weren't aware of it before this moment, as of this moment, I declare you officially mine. So, so if you weren't completely on board with the concept, now the rite of passage is here. You are mine. And with that, he says, therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord. If we are people who have surrendered our lives to Christ, who have prayed a prayer of salvation, who have said at any point, I am going to be a Christian. I am going to give my life to Jesus Christ. If you have, then that requires obedience to his word. Uh, the old concept that so many people want a savior but they don't want a Lord. They recognize I'm in trouble. I'm in need. They may even go as far in the spiritual consideration of things to recognize I'm going to hell. I need to be saved from this. So they, they desire a savior. But when that savior begins to say, you're now going to stop doing all of these things and you're going to start doing all of these things, they back out of the circumstance. They don't want a master. They don't want a Lord. They just want a savior. Let's, let's make sure that's not us, that, that we're only looking for the fire escape. Needs to be the relationship of submission. John chapter 14, verse 23, uh, the, the disciples are asking questions of him again. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You say you love Jesus Christ, you're going to keep his word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You want that in your life, it does require obedience. It's not like you drive the Lord away. It's a matter of, are you ever inviting him in? <laughs> if you don't open the door and say, come take the throne of my heart, then are you ever really in fellowship with the Lord? Something to consider. 27 verse 11, Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, Benjamin, and those shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So he's dividing them according to tribe. So that they're going to stand opposing one another and what's going to happen uh, he lists it out in straight order about the blessing and then the cursing but one mountainside is going to declare to the whole themselves and the other side what the blessings of the Lord will be and the other side is going to declare what the curses of the Lord are going to be so <clears throat> he begins here by saying the Levite shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one 
who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. All the people shall answer and say, Amen. So the Levites who lead worship give the proclamation that only the worship of the Lord is to be acceptable, that to follow after any form of idolatry is to bring the curse upon yourself. And we're going to see what that curse is here in a few minutes. What's remarkable, right, is we know that they forsake this and they fall into idolatry. And, you know, 586 B.C., they are, you know, while they go incrementally, from uh, the northern tribes and then down to the southern tribes. Uh, there are two waves of captivity and the final uh, capturing of the remnant uh, that has been left is 586 B.C. where they're taken away uh, to Babylon ultimately. And uh, what's remarkable about that is uh, 70 years in Babylon when they return, they still deal with sin, they still have struggles, they still have difficulties, but you never find idolatry in Israel again. Uh, so uh, do some application, right? Sometimes God will grind us right to powder in order to separate out from us the things which are in opposition to him. It isn't a terror. It's not a bad thing. God is blessing us in the process of discipline. So verse 16, cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who makes a blind, <clears throat> makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say amen. Regardless of the confusion of some of our modern politicians, the term amen simply means so be it. Right doesn't have any reference to masculinity. It's simply meaning we agree, we confirm what's being said. So here, you know, starting with you're going to respect your parents and you're not going to move your neighbor's landmark. Why would anybody do that? Because you're stealing his land. You know, you go out, yank the survey stake up out of your corner of the lot, walk 20 yards onto your neighbor's lawn and drive it down there. You just stole his property. This is very significant for the nation of Israel and what the Lord is saying, because he divides the land amongst the people and sets the boundaries for each of the families. So if anybody moves the lines, they're moving what God has established. There's something larger within this that the nation of Israel understood and that we apply today. The boundaries that God has set we don't have any right to move them, okay? When God says, this is a man, you don't get to move that and redefine it and say, no, I think this is also. When God says, this is marriage, one man, one woman, you don't get to say, well, I mean, who are you to define love and move that boundary again? You're stealing from God, right? Listen, I'll dig a little deeper since I'm on this long list of offenses, uh, it, it isn't addiction, it isn't a disease, according to God, it is sin, right? And I say that as one who the Lord delivered from drug addiction and alcoholism. It is, it is not a disease. 
uh, you know, I, I having a conversation with somebody the other night, and they uh, they said in the discussion, <coughs> so and so, you know, fellow Christian had a relapse. Okay, you relapse into cancer, right? You relapse into illness, right? You return to your sin as a dog returns to its vomit. Uh, again, not me trying to be offensive. That's scripture. And I was the dog for many years. And many of us in this room were the dog for many years. And Christ delivered us. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. Behold, I make all things new. He changes us. And that's what we're looking for. We don't want to move the boundaries that Christ makes the blind wander off the road. Oh, listen, our culture is full of blind guides who are guiding blind people literally to hell. Go through any of the subjects that you want to that our culture is wrestling with and look at the stupidity, the raw stupidity of our culture. When a man has been arrested for brutally beating his partner and running her over with his vehicle. Do you set him free on, you know, a thousand dollar bail? So that days later he can drive through a Christmas parade. I mean, you know, killing children. Some, somebody, somebody in that circumstance was profoundly blind. And that's what we're seeing is we're being led by blind guides. And it's time to have our eyes opened again by the word of God. Uh, We've talked a lot in this church about revival. And people often say, oh, we need revival. It's absolutely true we need revival. Revival implies something that was previously awake or previously alive that has either fallen asleep or died, needs to be awakened, or brought back to life. The church is the only entity that has previously been alive and awake, that has fallen asleep. The church needs revival. The church needs revival for sure, in order to lead the world as it did previously. So, the one that would cause the blind to wander off the road, all the people shall say, Amen, 19, curses the one who perverts justice, do the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Listen, social justice warriors, okay, in our culture, that whole mindset, the minute, the minute that you add anything to justice, it's no longer justice. Okay, Justice needs to be in black and white, like this law is in black and white. And the measurement needs to be the same, whether they're the president or a congressman or a senator or a black criminal on the streets, right? Because we're seeing this line get shifted everywhere. Everywhere it's being shifted around. If if we you know people don't realize how much this has taken over the judicial system. This is what's being taught in our law colleges is social justice. 
not justice. Social justice. It entered in in the 60s. It became prominent in the 70s. It completely took over at the end of the 80s. Where now, okay, you know, they're horrendous criminal. They've caused so much grief and so much damage. But, I mean, are you aware of how they were raised? Do you know what they went through? I mean, do you understand that their stepdad threw them down the stairs every single day? I don't care. Okay. It needs to be for all of us, for all of us, that you will say to the person who has been brutalized by someone, justice is going to be served to you. And then you meet it out. Here's your sentence. You did the crime. Boom. You're going to jail. Immediately, the next guy in line who's experienced the same things that guy did says, wait a minute, there's no leniency? And they stop their behavior. The legal system has listened to the sociologists and the psychologists to the point where they're thinking this is the authority. Psychology, sociology, this is the authority, and they know what's going on, so we'll follow their lead. Well, here's the thing. The countries that have not done this still have incredibly low uh, you know, occasions of crime. You know, when you're looking at you know, some of the locations in the harshest places in the world regarding the law, you know, every, is it two and a half minutes? Every 90 seconds, every two and a half minutes, there's a murder in America. Every 90 seconds, a woman is sexually assaulted in America. Like, just sit here and watch 90 seconds pass and realize another woman was assaulted in America. And then 90 more seconds, and another woman was assaulted in America. You go to countries where they kill people who rape women, no questions asked. There's no appeal, there's no process. If they confirm you raped this woman, then you're put to death. You know, you know how many country, you know how many rapes happened in, not that it's great to hold them up as an example, you know how many rapes happened in Iran last year? Eleven. Eleven. Put them to death immediately. That causes everybody that thinks like that to say, I'm not doing that. It brings a halt to it. This whole concept of social justice is no justice. It erases justice. It's what's going on in our country. Remarkable. District attorney for Los Angeles. Have you seen the list of things he will not prosecute? Right? He will not prosecute breaking and entering. Wait, what? Someone can break in my house while I'm home. Won't, won't prosecute. You know. Uh, not not just drug possession, right? A lot of places did that. You know what they do in Singapore? If if you are found not to be a drug user, if you're found to be a drug distributor, if they show up at your house and you've got drugs and you've got them all weighed up and all the evidence is there that you are distributing drugs, you know what they do in Singapore? The police officer shoots you on the spot. Dead. There's no judge, there's no arrest, there's no arraignment, there's no bail. Just they go, confirmation, this is all yours, you're, you're distributing drugs, bang. 
if that police officer doesn't administer that, he's disciplined, very often removed from his position, and then they execute the guy anyway. It's the responsibility. You know how many, you know how many people distribute drugs in Singapore? Like, nobody goes to Singapore uh, to look for drugs. Because they're incredibly hard to find. Because the punishment is that severe. Singapore's got other problems. I'm not trying to, again, hold them up as an example. But the issue of justice. This is the Lord saying, cursed is anyone who does. And everyone says, amen. So be it. Let it be that way. Think about how much more free our culture would be if we would pay attention to these things. You pervert justice. Do the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and all people say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife. And again, you say amen, but our culture isn't saying that anymore. Lost, right? So depraved in our culture. It's absolutely terrible because he uncovers his father's bed and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal sexually. And all the people shall say, Amen. Obviously. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people will say, Amen. All of these sexually oriented things that are being described here, you know, our culture in the 60s had the sexual revolution. And I've described to you before, if, if I didn't mention it, there's a book um, called The Marketing of Evil. So you might want to make note of that, get that book, read it. Um, it's about how the Democratic Party has purposely sold evil, marketed it, the same way that cell phone companies market cell phones or you know whatever might be marketed to you. The Democratic Party has marketed evil to America, and America has bought it, you know. So uh, Alfred Kinsey uh, in the 50s uh, steps forward into the psychological community saying that he has a brand new understanding of sexual orientation. And he delivers his findings and his publication, his book, uh, to the psychological community saying uh, to them, this is uh, the normal sexual orientation of human beings. So he's done this extensive study, and this is the normal sexual orientation of human beings. And in that is promiscuity. You know, this idea of monogamy and one man and one wife and being married, that's just restrictive and very destructive uh, to the culture, and we need to abandon that, we need to adopt. He even makes the point of we need to adopt what we more see in the animal kingdom. Okay, uh, that we need we because we're we're you know just nothing more than evolved animals according to Kinsey. We need to behave more like the animals, and so this presentation is made, and this you know scientific understanding of sexual orientation is presented, and the psychological community goes, "Great, that's wonderful," and that's the birth of the sexual revolution that results in the '60s. So all of that free love that we saw in the 60s was the result of Kinsey. It's two decades before anybody starts criticizing Kinsey's study. Because they're saying, I can't, some of it I can't even describe, 
but but they're they're saying, wait a minute, uh, here you're describing like criminal aggression of males upon females and saying that's normal sexual behavior for a male. Like, who did you study that that is the case? And he won't reveal, and they dig and they dig, and what they find eventually is that he started his study in the prisons in England amongst those who had been jailed for their sexual perversion, their rapes, their attacks, their molestation of children. He's sitting down with them for hours at a time saying, tell me about your urges. And he's writing that down as though that's normal. Today, you guys, so Hugh Hefner uses that in court to gain the, the legality to begin publishing Playboy magazine. Kinsey, look, Kinsey said right here, this is scientific proof. Now, I'll, I'll, I said I wasn't going to say it. There's a section nine in there where he talks about the sexual capabilities of toddlers. He describes it in detail, and no one even bothered to ask him, how are you aware of this? And it's in the 70s when they're going through his research that they discover that he and all of his research staff were pedophiles. The culture you're living in right now is the result of that. What, what Kinsey studied is now the norm. Every 90 seconds, a woman is being sexually assaulted in the United States. Because we adopted this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Stands in the way of the sinner, sits in the seat of the scornful, right? But his delight shall be in the law of the Lord. This, the, you know, everything we're reading here, you can look at it and go, what's well, pretty perverted stuff. Like, why would God include that? Because that's where humanity always sinks to. Every single time. When God is not the center of the society, clarifying, guiding, teaching, governing, then this is where you end up. And, and who are the victims, right? The weak and the innocent. Always. The monstrous. Always take advantage of them. God is trying to protect them from this. All of them say, Amen. Moving on in verse 24. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Careful what we say. Careful what we spread around. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. Of course, that would be the case. And yet we've watched over and over again as innocent people have their reputations destroyed, have their lives altered, right? Nicholas Sandman just visiting the capital and, you know, Native American begins harassing him. And now CNN is saying that he's a racist. And, you know, he's he's now settled three of uh, the court cases with CNN and ABC and I think MSNBC in the process. Uh, we haven't had any disclosure about how much he's received. You're familiar with this case? Everybody's familiar, right? Um, uh, when he settled with ABC, um, they signed a non-disclosure agreement so that we can't know how much money he got. But uh, originally, 
he and his lawyer sued them for $256 million. You can't just destroy someone's life. You can't, you can't secretly plot. And yet our culture is doing that all around it. Curse is the one who does not confirm all the words of the law and all that he will say amen. You don't agree with the Bible? All of the Bible? Well, you got to take that up with God because there is a curse that comes with rejecting God's word. Now consider, consider, some of us don't do it physically, right? Some of us just read something, we go, I don't like that. So we're rejecting it. We're not accepting it into ourselves, right? I'll read it, and I learned early on in my faith that while it's difficult, I need to embrace it, okay? Uh, you know, I hear Isaiah saying, anyone who removes anything from the word of God, his name will be removed from the book of life. I hear John saying the same thing in Revelation. Anyone who adds to his word, the curses contained in the book will be added to them. I don't want either one of those things happening to me or you. We need to be people that say, amen. So be it. Let the word stand as the word stands. Amen. We'll benefit our culture. We'll benefit everyone around us if we'll heed God's word. So we'll pick up with uh, chapter uh, 28 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Now that I've cooked you all in this sauna of 72 degrees or whatever, 85, 105 degrees, whatever it is in this room right now. So, my goodness. It's, it is not or it is. Yeah, so there you go. I like Debbie's attitude. Father, thank you very much for your word. Thank you for communion. Thank you for Deuteronomy. Help us to be men and women that live by it, cling to it, trust it, that we ourselves would say, Amen in regard to your word. May these things be so. Help us to embrace it to whatever degree we can and let that grow in our hearts and minds, that it would benefit our lives, that we would experience the blessings, that we would be able to share with others, that they could see the blessings and even have the curses removed from their lives. Watch over us, keep us, guide us, use us until we are together again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.